0: This is Creative Banter, a creativity and philosophy-focused podcast hosted by Cody Schultz and Ben Horn. This week, Ben and I discuss how our holiday celebrations went, which turned out to be rather quiet for the both of us. Keeping in what appears to be a tradition of analog technology, I received a record player from my parents, along with a few records my mother had picked out. After discussing a bit about this analog technology, one which is coming back in much the same manner as film, We turn our attention to the idea of Patreon and free entertainment, a topic brought on by Discussions Had in the Landscape Photographer's World Discord channel. We provide our opinions regarding the problem with so many people believing entertainment should be free, think of Spotify and the low monthly cost compared to when you had to purchase each album from your favorite artists, along with what Patreon originally stood for versus what it has become, due to people always desiring something in return. Our conversation shifts then toward a poll put on Twitter which asked whether photographers follow trends, which led to an interesting discussion that has no pure answer. Let's dive right into it, shall we? So, how was your Christmas celebration? It was good. It was uh, it's fairly quiet.
1: Um, since my parents were just getting over COVID, they're they're fine. They're they're basically over it. But um, just because of the the stage at which it is still contagious, um, we're kind of like right at about the tail end of that, anyways. So we we did our 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 family gathering sort of stuff as as usual. So. It's a little bit of a odd year also because with my wife and I having only recently returned from the trip to Hawaii where, you know, you're walking around there, you see Christmas trees, and it feels so incredibly out of place because yeah. um, it feels like it's summertime. It looks like it's summertime, but then you see like this big, you know, like 20-foot tall Christmas tree at this, like, uh, this mall there, and it just – by the time we got home, it just didn't even register. So there really wasn't much of a of a build up to Christmas like there often is.
0: It also doesn't help the weather. Like at least on my side here, it's mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like Christmas because you don't like so over the weekend we got hit with all that cold, the cold front that came through from oh, yeah. Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh
1: How cold did you guys get there?
0: Uh we were in like five degree area, wow. something like that during the night. So it was really cold and really windy, which made it even worse. We had oh, like 50 yeah. mile per hour winds coming through. Wow. Yeah. So that was about uh, as Christmassy as it felt throughout the entire month so far, yeah. <laughs> which is, it's kind of the usual for Pennsylvania where we don't really get christmas cold wintery weather until like january or february but still it when you're going from 50 degree weather leading up to christmas and then all of a sudden christmas is like yep i'm here yeah <laughs> it's uh it's a little weird yeah but, um yeah my christmas is pretty quiet it's the past few years it's been like that uh we kind of stopped bebopping around as much especially as like my sister and I got older, and it just became too much. I mean we used to Christmas day we would go to um we have dinner at like my house here and then we would go over to my grandparents' house to do presents there and then we'd go off to someone else's house just to visit like a family friend kind of thing for dessert and that kind of deal yeah, but we stopped that maybe. God, ten years ago now, and it's it's been so much better. Just very quiet, very like spend time with the family kind of deal, like the immediate family, and then just take naps throughout the rest of the day. Yeah, it's,
1: well, that's good. How yeah. how far apart are you age wise between you and your sister? Uh, two years, two years. Roughly. Okay, Is she older yeah. or younger? Younger, younger. Yeah, I have. Yeah, but I have everybody thinks that she's older. Over. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, my my brother is one year older than me, but I'm a, I'm a little taller than him. So if people are just kind of looking at us, they'd probably assume that I was. Old. It's weird, like you somehow, you know, you're you're a full grown adult, but somehow if you're a little taller, you're you're older. It's it's strange the way that that still works out.
0: Yeah, with her and I, it's always been because she's louder. She's like the extrovert, and I'm very reserved and quiet in public situations, especially. Yeah. So. Whenever like somebody comes up to us and we're talking or whatever after a bit, if they don't know that she's younger than me, they'll always assume that she's older just because she has more of that like outgoing kind of personality. Yeah. But I'm like, whatever. I don't, I don't care. I'll be thought of as the younger one. That's fine. I'll keep my youth. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I did get for Christmas from my parents though, that I think will be interesting to hear what the our viewers think of it Um, Mm -hmm. i got a turntable a record player oh interesting that fits the whole analog Analog kind of thing yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. just going back in time taking what everybody who grew up with it probably hates and (laughs) bringing it back to life um yeah so i got that i still need to get uh, they're on their way but it won't be until i think next week or so that they come in. Um, I got speakers for it. Oh, cool! And uh, I have four records right now. My mom picked up three records for me because when I when I made this list, I didn't want to put on any records that I actually wanted, and the mm-hmm. record player because I knew it was going to happen at that point. I'd just get the records, but not the record player.
1: Yeah, so kind yeah. of. Yeah, you kind of. Kind of need one for the others to, you know. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. So. She went to um, her and my sister do a lot of like antique store thrift shop kind of things. So Mm -hmm. they went out and my mom picked up three albums that she had enjoyed and that she figured that I would like. So I have one from Billy Joel, one from Metallica and one from Sting. And then I just picked up uh, John Mayer's Sob Rock. Very cool. Yeah, so I am looking forward to messing around with that. Um, but it is amazing. Like you think film is expensive, records are just ridiculous. How much it's, are they going for? Because I I have
1: no clue whatsoever.
0: If so, the Sob Rock from John Mayer was twenty eight dollars.
1: Hmm. I wonder how that compares to how they used to be when they were the primary thing, taking inflation into consideration. Because, uh, I mean, I 28 is a fair amount, but I was almost thinking that you're going to say more than that.
0: And there are some that were, I mean, 28 was like the low, that was one of their cheaper ones that they had. Okay. Yeah. And of course, it, it depends on where you go and who you're buying from and all of that. that. Um, yeah. There are also some that were like $50, I yeah. think, was one of the higher ones that I'd seen. You start you thinking about like those,
1: it. definitely. You, you, you pick it up, you look at it, it's like like, ah, uh, let's see here, you know, I, I could definitely see that really even v- at point where you really got to be into it.
0: Even at like 20 $25 each, I'm like, okay, these are very specific albums that I'll get, that I'll play. I have to know that I'm going to play through like the entire album, both sides, and use it like regularly in order yeah. to justify this. Um, but now you got me curious. I want to look up what the uh, price difference was. Yeah,
1: and the other thing too is I would assume that the that it has a uh, a headphone jack in it, right? So you can no. just listen with headphones.
0: I is, don't. No, okay, no. This doesn't... one that they have different models for them. The um, because this is from Audio Technica. Mm-hmm. It's their um. I think they're 60 LP, something like that. Um, so they have the one that I have, which is just very basic, no frills to it. They have one that has Bluetooth capability as well, Yeah. which people go back and forth on. It apparently doesn't sound as good if it's Bluetooth. Plus, at that point, I may as well just use my phone. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um. And then they also have ones that have that uh, headphone jack specifically. Yeah as well as I think Bluetooth and uh, something else and the regular, yeah. whatever.
1: Because I was thinking like in terms of, I mean, listening with speakers is amazing. Um, but also I feel like one can be even perhaps more critical and, and hear more differences with headphones and, and kind of compare it to, you know, something that's, uh, you know, from the phone or whatever. Um, yeah, But that'll be cool. I mean, I, I can totally see just, you know, Make, making making some, some hot tea or coffee or whatever, just throwing on something and just actually taking time to absorb the music and make that be more of an experience. Very much like shooting film, as opposed to it just being something in the background that's, you know, just, you know, is mindless in a way.
0: Okay, so I just found this article from Billboard. Mm-hmm. After vinyl album sales peaked in nineteen seventy seven, prices reached a zenith the following year, which was equivalent to about thirty dollars when adjusted for inflation. Okay. That's so that's they actually are interesting. Aren't, they're cheaper, relatively speaking. Yeah. Uh as compared to what they were. Like nineteen seventy eight hit thirty dollars yeah. and in two thousand eighteen they were for 2020, it was like $28 was like their peak, and it's been going down a little bit recently.
1: And, I mean, considering that they are making them in smaller batches. Yeah, um, the demand well, isn't there anymore. Yeah, so it's actually almost kind of impressive that they don't cost more than they currently do. Though in in the case of, of pressing um, the records, maybe the whole like quantity thing doesn't really buy that much because it's, it's really time and materials, which doesn't really, with so many things it figures you make a ton of them, you know, everything gets scaled up and it gets less expensive, but I don't know if that's as, I, I know nothing on the topic, but, um, but yeah, I can see how that's, it's actually pretty decent the price point when, when you consider everything else.
0: Yeah. But I mean, it's still terribly overpriced for, uh, Yeah, in comparison to like spotify where you get like free music or yeah relatively free music essentially that we're also used to at this point yeah that's why like i plan on being very specific with what i play uh on the record just because if it's not an album that i'm like head over heels for or that i know that i'll really play the hell out of there's no point in me buying it but speaking along those lines um on the one discord group that i've brought up here before and that i am a part of mm-hmm. um, they were talking about patreon and it kind of got me thinking about this whole idea on like free entertainment yeah and how we have gotten so used to things just being free i mean you look at youtube videos and the the only cost to us really is watching an ad And that's just surpassed by ad block on our browser for most times. And when it comes to even like Spotify, you have millions, if not billions of albums available at your fingertips, not to mention podcasts and now audiobooks for a couple bucks a month, if that. And I think we have gotten to a point where there's just so much free entertainment and we are no longer thinking of the cost to the creator yeah um i know over on deep natter a couple months ago i want to say uh sean tucker had brought up how he now has to start looking at alternative methods of making a living because youtube is just not not working out how it used to Mm -hmm. in terms of the the ad revenue that you get the money from sponsorships because now the view numbers are going down um I was writing a little bit of an article regarding this topic. Um, so I looked over to his channel and he has, I want to say like 560,000 subscribers on his mm-hmm. channel. But when you go and you look at his views, there may be 50,000 views right around that is where he hovers. But then he'll talk on the podcast and he's saying, well, he has, he's a part of this, um, whatever they call it, where you can support your uh, YouTube creators directly. Yeah. Donate the, button through that. Yeah.
1: like the, Is that like the, the join button that's on there? Yeah, yeah.
0: Right. He said he does that. And then he also has um, a donate button directly on his uh, website. Mm-hmm. But the number mm-hmm. of people that actually donate and actually help him monetarily is very few yeah um which makes it very difficult for even people with big numbers like that to not sell out i think yeah it it creates a conundrum where you have to you either really want to stick to your guns but you may have to go and find an alternative method of making a living like yeah. for sean that may mean going back to running a – or working at a restaurant or product photography or uh, I think he had mentioned about going for therapy to be a therapist. Or you have to start making more videos on a more regular basis that you know are going to get more views, like the more technical, gear-centered videos. And all of this was sparked, as I mentioned, of someone saying on this Discord – that they're gonna be nixing their uh, Patreon just because they have maybe ten patrons to it. It really doesn't uh, doesn't pay for the amount of work required to run it, mm-hmm. which is at least partially true. I I think because when Patreon was created, at least from the idealized sense of it, it was created as a way for People to support artists with what they are creating at that time, not with an expectation of receiving anything in return. Mm-hmm. And over time, we've gotten to a point where now, if you don't have, say, any kind of perks to joining, if the only reason why people would join would be to help you to create art, you're going to struggle. Like, even for us over on the Patreon. We have uh bonus episodes and uh pre-release for certain tiers, that kind of thing. Well, very basic stuff, but it's still something that it's still additional work. Yeah. In order to try and incentivize people. So I'd be curious your thoughts on that as someone who has been running a Patreon for at least a little bit longer than what I have. Um but also because your Patreon doesn't necessarily have the biggest of perks to it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um and and also I have I have a, a question about what um so the the person on the Discord was all of their content behind a paywall or was it in was it uh, stuff that was put out there, kind of, kind of like mine, where I don't have anything special behind the paywall. Um, I have, I'll have, i put out the videos, like today we're recording this on a Wednesday, and I have a video that will go out on Saturday, so I'll, I'll post it on on Wednesday so that people have a little bit of a sneak peek. But that's really the only thing I have behind there. Um, was, was the person you're referring to, did they, was all their content really locked behind the paywall or was that Patreon in response to the content being somewhere else where people would simply go to the Patreon to support them? I'm, I'm kind
0: of curious what that situation was. I just found his Patreon, uh, Tristan Todd, and I'll put a link to his site in the show notes here. Um, he's actually one of the creators of this discord.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So he has two tiers right now. He has a $3 a month tier and a $9 a month tier. And those dollar amounts are US because I think he's Canadian based. So it always kind of mixes up yeah. what's going on here. Um, anyway, his perks are um, the live chat on Discord, exclusive editing contests, and 4K wallpaper for the lower one, and then um, editing videos and tutorials, raw files, fan requests, complete post archive, exclusive editing contests uh, for the bigger one. So he has some perks to it, um, but I don't think everything is behind a paywall.
1: Yeah. See, for me, when I set out to do that, and and when I started doing patreon i in my own typical fashion uh did everything against the way that you're supposed to do it because that's just how i roll um and so like my whole thing is i didn't want to have anything behind the paywall because i wanted it to be where that was a avenue for those that perhaps enjoyed what i put out on youtube um and they were wanting to support me, it would give them a way to support me in a way that they were comfortable with. Um, I've done PayPal ever since 2010, I think is when I started doing the PayPal contributions. And I know there's some people that just aren't very, um, they're not comfortable with PayPal, maybe based on whatever experience on eBay back in the day when, you know, who knows, but, um, but I've used PayPal for ages and I'm, i I do. I'm fine with that. But I figured I'd offer Patreon as just another way that people could help out if it was something they're interested in. And my whole philosophy has been to not have anything hidden behind the paywall. Um, I do have some perks on there: um, handwritten notes, kind of personalized stuff, Instax photos, stuff that's fairly easy for me to do. Um, right. But there's also a decent number of people who aren't signed up for any perks. It's just something they enjoy doing. But from my standpoint, I, I think that people go there. And for the longest time, I never even said that I had one. It's just kind of, it was linked to in the show notes for my videos, but it was nothing I ever mentioned really. Um, and so like for me, it's just been another way for people to help support if they're interested in, um, but with with the as, as I was as I was kind of getting to, I don't have any ads in the videos, and I think that is something that people do appreciate. Like if I'm watching a video and they have those ads that are part way through the video, like I just like I can't stand those. Like like yeah. I'll, I will close a video sometimes if those ads. There's something about just being interrupted, which I just I don't like. So I, I made sort of the agreement uh, a long time ago that I'm not going to have ads on the videos and if people enjoy what they're watching and if they want to support it, you know, here are the ways of doing that. So it's not really linked specifically to items as a giveaways, but I also realized that that's a model that's very difficult for people to do because it takes a really long time to build that up uh, to the point where it can work. I can see if a person has things locked behind the paywall. That can be a little tricky because you got to have some way for people to find out who you are, what you do. And so from early on, my my whole strategy has been put it out there for free um, with no real expectations in terms of, you know, it's, it's just it's out there for free. And if people enjoy it, uh, you know, they can they can support. But I just. I'm not a fan of the ads, and, and you had mentioned the um the ad blocker. Does that work for the midstream ads on YouTube?
0: Yep, it does everything. It it, is there a pause at all, or does it ads.
1: does it just keep going as though they're not there?
0: Yep. Which it it's always weird because I don't have ad block on my phone. Hmm. Um. So if I happen to be watching or I scroll through YouTube and I want to watch a quick like two minute video or something that I found, um. Yeah. There's almost always like a 30 second to a minute video ad before the video. I'm like, this just isn't worth it. (laughs) Yeah. I can't stand (laughs) it. It's two, it's two minutes of a video and you're putting like four ads before it. Yeah. So I, I almost never watch anything YouTube related unless it's like the YouTube shorts on my phone, just because I've gotten so used to not having to watch ads. And that's even like with, uh, recently I've been, delving into Tim Ferris's podcast and listening to some of the interviews that he's done especially while I run just something to, to do mm-hmm. and I I always I've gotten to a point after listening to a few of them that I can tell when an ad is coming on yeah because of how the conversation starts to slow down a little bit yeah so I'll prepare myself and try to time it with my run because of doing intervals. Where I can just, I'll be walking <laughs> while the ad is going. Yeah. And I can quick press like the 15 second forward or whatever a couple of times until it goes, until the ad is done and then I can get back to it. But it, it definitely takes you out of it. I mean, I understand why, especially with podcasts and such, uh, why they're important to run ads. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, I would much rather. Not have to deal with that, not have to deal with sponsorships or any of that stuff, and instead be user supported or viewer totally. supported. But the as you mentioned, there's a lot of time and patience and dedication that goes into that, depending on how you want to do it. Like you can take the what may be seen as like the easier route where you give away a bunch of content on your Patreon. You have like for web comics or comic creators i know that they typically will have entire comic strips that they give away for certain tiers on their patreon that you can't see anywhere else and that's fine but for me i can't imagine giving away content like that behind a paywall yeah f- and on on top of what i'm already doing i mean like even doing the bonus episodes i've been pretty lax with doing those for our patreon here just because it's Something else that takes more time, even if they're just five, 10 minute episodes, I still have to go through and fancy them up a little bit, make sure that everything sounds okay, and then figure out what I want to do with them. Exactly. Yeah, Which I think that's what makes it so tough.
1: Yeah. And kind of going back to what you're talking about, how uh, Sean has the, you know, the join button on on the YouTube channel, but not many people use it when I, that was initially a feature that was reserved just for like the really big channels, but then they rolled it out to, um, a lot of the channels. I don't know if anyone can get it now. maybe you have to have a certain requirement, but it's a, it's a fairly low threshold compared to what it used to be. Um, and I thought, Hey, that, that could be a kind of a good way to perhaps help appease YouTube since I don't run ads on the stuff and I'm pretty sure they don't like me um, <laughs> just for wasting their bandwidth with all the 4k and them not getting any ads off any of the recent stuff since I don't know like 2014, 2015 somewhere in there. Um, but I looked into it and I, I think the I think YouTube takes uh, a sizable like a huge chunk just like with the ads. Um, I think with the ads, I don't know if, if it was like you get 30% or, or whatever it is, it's something like that. Um, whatever, whatever it was, it's, it's, it was similar, at least at that point in time when people do the channel membership, it's a very large portion it's taken, um, whether it's they're taking 30% or you're getting 30%, something like that, um, versus PayPal, which is like two and a half percent, um. Patreon, somewhere around five-ish? I don't, I don't recall. Somewhere in about that range.
0: It also depends with Patreon what tier you plan on using for it, because they have different tiers of uh, of membership, so to speak. Yeah. In terms of uh, as a Patreon creator, not necessarily as a Patreon, but yeah. as a Patreon creator, when you go to create your Patreon, you can have um, different tiers depending on what you all want and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, YouTube takes 30% share of your profits.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's a big chunk. Um, I, I think what I've learned through the years and I don't know how this is probably something that you can apply to any sort of uh, art that you're looking to monetize, perhaps whether it's writing or photography or video or whatever For me, I found that the most important part of it is is to build a emotional connection between the viewer and the work. Um, And I think with my own video stuff, I just kind of stumble upon something that works pretty well in terms of just being very honest about the experience, taking people along for the ride. So it's almost like they're sitting over your shoulder just watching it and experiencing it. And, and for me, a natural sound is really important about that because it helps transport the person um, to where you are in a way that they can feel like they're living the same sort of experience. Um, but for me, that has become a very important part of it because people are more invested in it when they feel like they're along for the ride but this also flies in the face of what's popular on youtube because if if you look at what's popular on youtube it's people telling other people how to do things or what not to do it's just like this this really strong delineation the videos that are popular are like always do this never do that and i also make a point of never saying like this is what you have to do or this is what you shouldn't do or i i just put it out there so people can follow along. They'll take from it what they will. Um, but it is it is very much a, a long-term uh, approach to that. Um, and I think, like I've seen a lot of people who have um, gone down the road. It's usually um, they're working a day job and it's not something that they want to be doing for the rest of their life. They've always wanted to become a photographer. And they start going down that road, but then you see very quickly that all of a sudden there's just like a hard left and then they start following like chasing the algorithm because they have that pressure to they have bills to pay. You know, you have you need to generate the income. So people are gonna more still so follow the trends and try to take that shortcut to get to the point where I'll do well. But it's I, I can't imagine how that is in any way a fulfilling process. Um
0: Yeah, I can't my my big thing with Patreon is I just want it to be there for the people who read what I write or view my photography or whatever and want to support me without expecting anything in return as yeah. it was originally created to be um, because I don't have the time to write exclusive articles or... Uh, do any kind of exclusive materials for Patreon on top of trying to get my uh, feet on the ground when it comes to getting into different magazines, getting my writing out there, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it it becomes a very difficult balance. Um, Sarah Marino had mentioned in this Discord as well, she chimed in a little bit and said that she kind of feels the same way in regard to patreon at least from my understanding of what she said whereas she doesn't want to have that kind of pressure because she feels as though if she creates a patreon even if people are supporting her just for the sake of supporting her without anything in return she may end up feeling as though she has to give something in return because of because of that um so instead that'll that'll lead to
1: burnout pretty fast
0: oh absolutely and instead, with her uh, recent free ebook, she had included in the in the back end of it, I think um, something about like a donate, like here here's a way to donate money if you enjoyed this free thing. Yeah, and she ended up getting quite a few like donations that ranged from ten dollars to a hundred dollars or whatever. But I I think that's primarily the the problem where I see it with that is. You have a lot of creators who understand why this free entertainment is not necessarily free, like the cost behind it, the hidden yeah. costs. But creators can't just be uh, supporting creators. It it just doesn't. I mean, we're all poor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. Especially, especially but,
1: in the landscape photography.
0: Uh, exactly. Yeah. It, it's so hard for us as creators to make a living and for us to be thinking oh well i want to support x y and z other creators even at five dollars a month well five dollars a month doesn't come easy when you're trying to make a living off of what you're doing yeah and not having a day job and i i think it's unfortunately the quote-unquote common folk who are expecting entertainment to be free because that's what they're used to anymore because they don't know any better. Especially a lot of the younger generations don't remember a time where you had to go to a store and actually buy a CD to listen to your favorite music instead of just paying a subscription price to listen to whatever you want. Um, So I think that's where a lot of the issue comes in is between that patience of waiting for that kind of audience to grow, that natural thousand true fans to grow, And at the same time, understanding that it's going to take a while because you can't rely solely on other creators to support you who are the more understanding bunch of why you aren't giving away things
1: on top of it. Though also it seems as though, at least from what I've witnessed with the landscape photography community, it kind of is its own little self-contained ecosystem of there's there's a lot of there's far more people that are able to make a living at it where their income is derived from you know other photographers um, you know myself included um, where it doesn't seem like it makes sense on paper um, though I guess it's just what we really see it's the whole like tip of the iceberg you see the people that are out there you know, making a living from photography, but I, there is a very, there's a significantly larger group of people that, um, that more so have the means to support cause you know, they're working, uh, maybe they're a business owner, they're, they're working a job, they have a, you know, long time career and they like the, the escapism of being able to watch the videos and to learn and to, do the you know the photo critiques and the ebooks and everything so there, there's a large part of that that we we don't really see as much on the surface um, so I think th- those are the people that really help to allow those of us who enjoy doing this to to live our dreams and i'm I'm incredibly grateful for that because if it was just that tip of the iceberg you know it would it 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 would not be possible at all. So on another note, um I've I'm about halfway through posting my my videos from Zion. And the my favorite photo from that trip was this oak leaf that is um it's sitting against some some dry mud and it was a a really quick scene that I found. I didn't have much time to set it up. The light was shifting. It was fairly unique looking. Um, So I call that one lone survivor. Um, And so I, this was a photo taken in the shade and I took a version of it with and without a warming filter. And when I saw the film, the version with the warming filter looks very much like reality. Um, The one without the warming filter went understandably quite blue and it does not resemble reality. And I had an immediate connection to the one without the warming filter, the one that looked less accurate and the one that looked more accurate. I'm like, it's a leaf, you know, it's, it's a leaf on sand. (laughs) You know, it's, it, it is what it is. There's, I have no connection to this. And I found this interesting because I was thinking if I had shot that same scene with, A digital camera the image would look far more like the version I shot with the warming filter um, or it would very much resemble reality and I was thinking that if I had photographed that scene it would that photo would probably just be sitting on my hard drive I probably wouldn't have even looked at it full view and I don't think I would have made the decisions to edit that photo with the cooler white balance to give it the look that it has. I think I would have just completely disregarded it. And it got me thinking a little bit about how one of my goals when it comes to photography is to try to portray something mostly how it looks because that subject gives me a certain feeling to look at that subject. And I just wanna mostly replicate that look, that feeling in the photograph, which is quite hard to do. But in this case, the picture that went very blue, I had a far stronger emotional reaction to. And I was thinking about how that's probably one of the reasons why I do enjoy using film, because these departures from reality, you, you kind of get to see them a little bit played out on the light box. And it gives a bit more license to stray from reality in a way that evokes emotion a little bit more i just thought it was fascinating how of all the photos i shoot i usually tend towards more reality but this one really spoke to me and it was by far a deviation from reality
0: yeah that definitely is a nice photo i just pulled it up on your site
1: yeah it has like these kind sort of pastel tones um there's a little bit of warmth mixed in with the cool tones um and in the film reveal video which will go live in a few weeks or whatever from when this goes out. um, You'll see the original one and it just, I have like no connection to it. And so it was, it was just kind of an interesting thought process. And the time that I did have the digital camera as well, I would try to kind of stay within the realm of reality. And I don't think it would have ever occurred to me to stray from reality. And, And it gets to me thinking about how, um, uh, Guy Tal would talk about how, um, you know, the basically the artistic license when working with an image. And for me, that was always a difficult part of digital because there are so many different ways you can go with an image.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: But when you're presented with it on the light box, you just look at it you're like, I like that. I'm not exactly sure why, but I like that and that connects with me. Um, so yeah, it, it does also... Of
0: my. With all of my work, I tend to kind of walk a very fine balance between reality and artistic expression. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more leaning towards reality, but not to the same degree that uh, that you do, for instance. Yeah. Um, and I think black and white certainly helps me with that in terms of allowing myself to be more free when it comes to processing my work or yeah. even thinking about uh, how I compose my work and such, that with color, I think I would be more inclined to kind of lean a bit more heavily towards surrealism. Yeah, even with shooting film versus digital or however, to, to almost want to replicate what I see before me. So I think black and white helps me with keeping away from that, kind of expressing myself a lot more uh artistically.
1: Yeah. Also another thing too, um, over on Twitter, just not long before recording this, um, I put a little poll up which was uh interesting. And uh let me uh pull it up here. So it says, Do you chase the latest trends as a photographer? And let me see what the current response is. So At this point in time, there are 238 votes. And those that said yes to chasing the latest trends as a photographer, uh, 7%. And no is 93%. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: that's funny. Which makes you wonder, how do trends exist if no one chases them? And... It, these are sort of the questions I like to ask sometimes because at first people will have a gut reaction to it, like, oh, I don't chase trends, you know. But then you start thinking about it, and I, I think a lot of people do. I mean, I pride myself in really not so much chasing trends. But that being said, there's definitely been a very strong movement toward small scenes uh, in terms of landscape photography. Which is something I was doing anyways, but at the same time, it probably helps to know that that is something that people are accepting and appreciating. That reinforces my enjoyment of photographing those. Um, it's not something I'm doing against my will. It's it's you know it's something I I, I would do anyways. But I think that there always is going to be an influence. And, and also, um, when I look back at some of my older work, um, I was more going with what the film would do in terms of things would sometimes be a bit more contrasting and saturated than I would like uh, how I view things now. And so I've definitely gone towards softer color palettes, which have been, I think, embraced more, uh, perhaps based on how things. Uh, you know, an aesthetic like that evolves because of how things are viewed on a tiny phone. You know, a contrasty, saturated image can look way over the top, but more of a, to show more of the delicate nature of a subject and the subtleties, uh, you know, less contrast, less saturation does pretty well. And I've kind of gravitated towards that recently as well, also because of the different film stocks. But I think we all essentially follow the trends even though we don't think we do,
0: I think Alex Nail over here, he summed it up pretty well in his uh, his comment that he has. He says uh, most people who chase trends don't realize they are chasing them. Instead, it's influence and changes in preference. He says that he sees this so much in landscape photography, even from top photographers. That he doesn't really think it's intentional. Yeah, I think there's definitely merit there. That it's just based on like you see on social media some i don't know mark Adamus, for example uh, you see him doing something with his photography and it's all of a sudden it catches on really quick it's like wildfire it just spreads and all and you don't think that you're necessarily chasing a trend or you're not doing it necessarily with the intent to uh, follow along with that trend but instead you are Influenced by someone who was chasing that trend or created it or however, and all of a sudden you're part of that group. So I think that's definitely the um, more of the catalyst that and why people don't necessarily think that they are chasing trends when they realistically are. Yeah, Um, but it's tough to to see that, especially when you're so inundated with constants a constant influx of photographs and videos of other individuals that you aspire to be like, that you are uh, constantly looking up to, and you start to take on these little uh, notions, these little behaviors that you may not be cognitively aware of, but the second that you look back, you take a step back, or someone else looks at your work and calls you out for something that you didn't even realize that you were doing. Yeah. I think that's really where all of this comes through.
1: And and also I I can see choice of subject, uh, especially for small scenes, being um, a big one where if you do see that someone uh, produced a fantastic photo of a particular subject that you wouldn't have even thought to photograph before you're going to become more aware of that when you're in the field next. You know, w- w- even if you if you don't remember who it was that shot it, how that photo actually looked like. But now there's a thought in your head that, oh, there is a particular photo. There was a, um, uh, a really, really talented photographer. I, I think I've mentioned him on here in the past. But uh, Jim Bessia um, shoots 8x10. Uh, he's up in Wisconsin. And he spends a lot of time in Capitol Reef. And he was showing me some photos he had taken and one of them was a close-up view of a massive pile of tumbleweeds and by close-up i mean just like frame filling i mean it's a large area there's tons of tumbleweeds in there but it created this very fascinating texture and as i'm driving along one of the roads, there is it's kind of crossing uh, over these uh, these drainages and sure enough you see, like these big piles of of tumbleweeds down there. And I looked at that. I'm like, oh man, that's 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 exactly what he would have shot. But also in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, I can't shoot that now because he shot that. <laughs> but it, it planted that that thought in my head of recognizing that as a good subject. Um, but also a, another thing too, kind of along those lines, I was thinking about how, um, so whenever I go to to Zion in the fall. There's a core group of photographers I run into, um, most of which are, are film photographers. And there will be a subject that perhaps I didn't quite know where it was, but you know one of the other photographers photographed it. And, and seeing that I've been there, I've been going there for so long, for so many years. I mean, I know the place pretty well, but they'll, they'll be seeing they photograph. I have no clue where it is. Then I stumble upon it and I'll be like, oh, this is like Marty's shot or, oh, this is Lauren's shot. And I'll have zero desire to set up my camera and photograph that subject. Because for me, it's now kind of like off the table. Like that's their photo, that's their creative expression. Um, but I don't think that sort of philosophy exists so much when you're outside that group. It's just, you know, fair game for, for subjects and stuff along those lines. Because you don't, yeah, it's, it's a little bit different for that. Um, but that's, that's kind of the other influence I have where I'll see someone photograph something. I'm like, well, I can't do that now because they already did that.
0: Yeah. It's also, there's also the off chance. Like, so for me, not being on social media definitely helps to keep away from what other people are doing, Yeah, uh, at least more, uh, more timely doing, but there's still times where I'll go out and I'll make a photograph of So the one that I did was um, ice fractures in a pond that kind of looked like a tree. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. No one's done this before, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then all of a sudden, I ended up meeting up a few months later with uh, Chris Murray. And he was, I don't remember if it was from his newsletter or if he had shown me a photograph that he had taken or something. But regardless, it was ice fractures in a pond that looked like a tree. I'm like, Oh, I'm not original, all right. <laughs> but there's uh, there's always that off chance where you may not realize it, but there's a reason why those photographs or why those trends as a whole kind of pop up because people see these and they all connect the with the same thought process, and it becomes popular just because a lot of people like that one kind of thing, like that red maple leaf set against uh, the ice yeah
1: I hope you enjoyed our creative banter you can learn more about Cody's work by visiting his website codyschultz.com and you can find my work at benhorn.com for further discussion join us at patreon.com slash creative banter it's a place where we can interact with you the listener And although we greatly appreciate those who contribute by joining a tier, discussions are open to everyone, whether you're a paying member or not. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you around next time.